welcome to Listen In, an informal talk show where we collect opinions and ideas from people old and young. We hope to bridge a gap in communication at a time when many may feel disconnected due to the pandemic, but also an open platform for chilled and thought-provoking discussion. Listen in, a crazy montage of past and present of opinions, ideas and music. Every episode is soundtracked by us and by our guests. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We hope you enjoy our show. And Rosa, would you like to reveal this week's topic? Yes. So the theme this week is food. We are going to be talking about the role food has played in our lives from our childhoods up until now. We came across an article in The Guardian that talks about the changing nature of food and the rise of food of convenience. I'm just going to read a little bit out from it to give some context. Um, so today it's no longer a given that if we want to eat, we must cook. And yet the less time we do spend cooking, the more we seem to devote to watching other people doing it on TV. Of course, the reason we don't always cook is that, as the freezer section of supermarkets the world over demonstrate, we don't have to. So as students, we are no stranger to those good old Mr. Deliveroom. <laughs> But how about the euphoric pleasures of laboring over a home-cooked bolognese or a roast dinner? Do we view cooking as time-consuming or rewarding? And how has university changed our opinions now that we have to fend for ourselves? Thank you, Rosa. Uh, so this week's guest, the first guest, is Mandy. Um, thank you, Mandy, for being with us. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm Mandy. I'm a British-born Chinese girl from Manchester. Lived here my whole life, um, went to uni here, graduated last year, and now I'm currently working in publishing from my home in Manchester. <laughs> Very exciting. What, did you, what was your course at university? Uh, so I did German and East Asian studies, um, which is a bit rogue, uh, but I figured... I. I speak English and Mandarin, thought might as well throw in German. And then with the East Asian studies aspect, it was to find out more about my own heritage and my own culture, because my parents um, are from China. And did, um, did you get to go abroad in your course to, to Germany? I did, thank God. Um, I went abroad from 2018 to 2019. So I think that was either the second last year or the last year that we had the Erasmus funding because I'm not sure what's going on with it now. But um, yeah, I studied abroad in Heidelberg, which is like this really small, bougie town an hour out from Frankfurt. Well, that will be, it'll be interesting, like hearing about different food experiences from, from mm. Germany compared to Manchester. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, tell us, tell us about that. Oh man, um, yeah, so my time in Germany, I like to refer to my time in Germany as my time in Schnitzelland, purely mm -hmm. because like every other day, <laughs> I was just at the restaurants eating schnitzel like all the time um yeah so prior to going to Germany I'd never tried German cuisine um you know I lived quite a sheltered life in in Manchester where if it wasn't Chinese food it was Greg's <laughs> or if it wasn't Greg's it was Weatherspoons. um so going abroad to Germany it was amazing seeing uh, the different types of food they have there and they really love their meat there and I was really overwhelmed with how much you could do with meat <laughs> that hadn't already been done in the UK um yeah so my experience in Germany was nice in the sense that I got to experience a lot of European food um but then the other half of my time I spent most of it in a Chinese supermarket that we had in Heidelberg it was like the only Asian supermarket and I literally spent every evening in there just for the familiarity of you know seeing things that my mum liked and I don't know, if I looked at a pack of tofu, I'd miss my dad just a bit more. Um, so it was a really nice balance of European meets Eastern cuisine on my year abroad. That's nice. That's interesting how you can have that um, a connection to home from, from being abroad, from being able to like mm. access different foods. Yeah, it makes me think of my sister who lives in Prague when I went over there. Um, there was like no options for like vegetarian options not that I'm mm -hmm. veggie but I was like wow even on this in this 
um restaurant we went to the veggie option was like um oh is it just like one big mushroom (laughs) yeah but it was like salad and then it just said with beef and it was like that's not (laughs) not not what you want oh dear you know so could you tell us if you remember the first dish you learned to cook and if you still make it now um so the first dish that I learned to cook I don't think there's an English translation so every time I try to explain this to someone it sounded really unappetizing it's called lumpy soup which I guess isn't the most like nicest sounding thing um but it's something that my mum used to make uh when I was young and I only really eat it when I'm ill because it's like a soup but it's got lumps in it that taste really nice <laughs> um mm. So it was called sort of like my sick soup. So I guess what people <laughs> here eat as like chicken soup or like chicken noodle soup. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So then I learned that because obviously when I had to move out for uni, every time I got sick, um, I wanted to eat this soup. And I couldn't exactly be like, mum, come over <laughs> and make me this lumpy soup. Uh, so I had to learn how to make that when I was younger. And it's coming really handy for, you know, when my friends are ill or like sometimes when like people I'm dating if they're ill as well I'll make it for them and it's basically just soy sauce and soup with lumps <laughs> which does not sound good but trust it's really nice what are the lumps it's is it called curdles like it's curdles when you like lump together flour it's like curdled flour so oh, when like... you eat it it's like chewy mm. Mm. Like so a kind of dumpling vibe. Yeah, it's like mini dumplings. Mm. Honestly. The thing in, in Italy is uh, called tortellini in brodo. Oh, sorry, I'm Italian, just to give you some context. Um, yeah. Uh, if you couldn't tell from my accent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, tortellini in brodo is basically, it's interesting, it's basically the same thing. It's like small Italian dumplings with broth. Yeah, and it and it's great. Like you can just like eat it all day when you're ill. Yeah, and you don't want anything else once you try it. Mm, yeah, I think there's also some sort of body memory going on there. Like every oh my god, I am about to share a very bad thing. Um. So yeah, I think you know because when you experience something, then you associate with something else. So for example, uh-huh. when you're Ill, you associate that kind of meal. Um, yeah. Uh, to how you feel in that moment. <laughs> As every time you really want lump, yeah. lump, how do you call it? Lumps, like yeah. curdles, lumps, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. That, that's really not, not in, in relation to what I'm saying. But like every time I go to the supermarkets in Italy, for some reason, before, because once I, I had to go to the bathroom, I, I really had to go for a, a shit. So basically, every time I go to that supermarket now, instantly I have to go to the loo for no reason. So I um, believe that there is body memory and is real. It wow. is real. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, beautiful. Like it was. It was a good chapter in your life. Yeah, good moment to share that. People, do the people that you give the um. <laughs> To go back to the soup, like, do the people you give give it to them, do they, like, experience the same kind of, like, rejuvenating properties, do you think? They they find it interesting, definitely. <laughs> it's not every day that, you know, one of your Chinese friends is like, here, have some lumpy soup. Um, they like it, but, you know, I think because I have a association with it that's quite sentimental, they're not as into it as I am. Mm. But, you know, it's a nice change from tomato soup or chicken noodle soup. And Julia, I was going to ask, whenever you go back to the supermarket, are they like, oh, there's that girl again who just uses the bathrooms, never buys anything? It's, it's, really, it's really a problem, you know. I, I, I genuinely get, go in there to, to buy some food, but I actually don't manage to get much out of it. It's, it's problematic. But yeah, no, I don't know what they think. I think there's a, quite a lot of, um, like, people that work there change quite a lot. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't have good memories about that. 
um it's a kind of traumatic traumatic memory um that's like when my dad like sometimes when we have loads of stuff to use up in the fridge he'll just put meals together that don't shouldn't exist together oh yeah and once he like put um, a pie in a soup and called it pie soup and it was just like <laughs> that is, it was really shocking but it was actually good but um yeah I'm just thinking now about now whenever I see pies I think of my dad and his crazy Aww. inventions yeah yeah just grab some flour chuck it in some water and like just dolp it in soy sauce send <laughs> you a picture of my attempt <laughs> we can put that on the Instagram and who would be your dream dinner party guests and what would you make them okay so um lumpy soup here's my lumpy soup for you um I think it would be have you guys heard of the band Japanese breakfast oh yeah yeah. oh have you really I'm like obsessed with her like it's actually scary how obsessed I am with her um Hmm? Yeah. yeah I'm just I really like that song Diving Woman Diving Woman yes that's tune she released a new single like four days ago did you see no no you should, I you to... should check that out yeah I'm like here doing PR for her like guys <laughs> she's amazing um, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna put her in the in the episode um but yeah uh she is um a singer from the US she's half Korean half Jewish and um she ever since so her mum passed away a couple years ago and then since then she's sort of been on a quest to find out more about her Korean side and her Korean heritage so she did a lot of like collaborations and videos about Korean cuisine and I thought that was really lit like she did a collaboration with this really famous um Korean YouTuber called Mangchi um who's this like really sweet Korean lady on YouTube who teaches you how to make like kimchi and tteokbokki and all these things Uh and um I love Japanese breakfast music as well and she just does a lot for like the East Asian community because there's not many idols when it comes to you know people of East Asian or Southeast Asian descent so she's one of the ones at the forefront of really you know promoting um our culture so I'd have her around and um, what I'd make is this thing, which again, I, I don't know the English translation. So I always make, make up my own translations and they just sound really boring. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'd make her meat buns, which sounds really boring. Oh, it just sounds like a hamburger. Um, but it's like, a, it's like a bougie, fancy hamburger. It's like, it's like pork belly that's been like mm. simmering for hours and hours and hours. And then you chop it up and then you put it in these crispy buns. <laughs> I don't know how to translate, um, but it's like a speciality of all my parents are from in China. So they're from Xi'an. There's like a really big speciality there. And mm. my mum makes like a really good one. So I'd probably make that for her. So no lumpy soup. Sadly. Um, any favourite like Chinese bakeries or anything in Manchester? Just because I knew that I really like yes. um, Ho's Bakery. Oh my gosh, I love Ho's Bakery. <laughs> So like I grew up in the streets of Chinatown. I know oh. it like the back of my hand. Um, so I'm from Stratford, which is like a 20 minute drive from town. And um, so I've been here my whole life. And uh, my parents, you know, all their friends, all their like acquaintances are in the Manchester Chinese community. So the only place we ever went to when I was young was Chinatown. I was there every week, like, you know, just 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 in every single restaurant. Um, so I know it like the back of my hand um so Ho's Bakery is really good I have Mm. to admit it's my favorite bakery um but then the other one is have you been to Wang Wang's Bakery I haven't Uh, been there no yeah they're both pretty similar in terms of what they sell but um if you go to Wang Wang they specialize in again the translation does not make it sound appetizing they sell oil sticks (laughs) it's really weird but it's like fried batter and oil and it's a really popular breakfast food in China so my mum goes there sometimes to get um, oil steaks for breakfast food. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend Wong Wong's because just they have they have a bit more selection. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Them. Yeah, exactly. We have to go check them out. Yeah, it was actually dangerous when I moved to Manchester for uni. I always came, went to Ho's when I was like visiting Manchester. And now yeah. it's like always there and I always just want to get buns. 
but, but have you tried I their am. cakes because like Chinese cakes are a lot different to western cakes like the oh, icing no. yeah I haven't I haven't tried them okay you need to try it because it, it's it's really really different to like cakes over here that you get in Sainsbury's oh how, how so I think there's more don't quote me on this but I think there's more dairy content it's less sweet Okay. There's like there's like a really um, popular meme going around right now on this Facebook group called Subtle Asian Traits, where it's like the biggest compliment you can receive from your parents or like family members when you make a dessert is, mm, yeah, it's not too sweet. <laughs> I don't know why it's going around as a meme, but um, it's true. We we like our our stuff and bakeries are less sweet, mm. but they're still really good. Yeah, they I always think... look amazing. On yeah, counter. it's like proper works of art. Yeah. yeah, very different to Sainsbury's. <laughs> Sainsbury's <laughs> caterpillar, <laughs> calling the caterpillar cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I find them incredibly sugar. Like there's so much sugar in them. I can't. Mm. Like, that same thing. Like in Italy, they're way less sweet. I can't. I can't eat the majority of um, the like English cakes. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm. just not used to it. I see the like how it can be appealing. <laughs> but uh yeah okay <laughs> we'll try them out I'll also send pictures I'll basically I'll, I'll I'll just send pictures of my new discoveries that you have um, yeah the new world you've opened for me and Rosa I also do have to recommend um it's actually a bubble tea shop I think it's called Happy Lemon so mm. they have a branch in town but they do really good I think it's called like bubble waffle oh. that's really nice so you should try the bubble waffle as well um oh so what's your wait but can I just ask what's mm -hmm. your like favorite flavor of bubble tea oh my gosh <laughs> why would you do this to me um <laughs> it's um it's called dirty which I find really funny dirty um it's I think it's just brown sugar milk tea, but they just put so much Oreo crumbs in there. Mm. It's like an Oreo brown sugar milk tea. It's so bad for you. Like, it's genuinely the worst flavor, which is probably why I like it so much. Um, but yeah, do you get bubble tea a lot? I really like, um, I usually get just like honeydew though, like melon. Uh, okay. All right. That's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement. Is it? Is that, a con is, is that boring? It is, isn't it, it? I think it's pretty wild. I don't really go for that I feel like it's one of the less popular flavors but I respect your decision <laughs> yeah I think I need to I need to branch out I want to try this is is that flavor like in happy lemon or yeah oh dirty yeah oh, I usually go to um Ohio tea oh I've seen that one yeah yeah, yeah. it's next to char time does your family have um strong tradition of making homemaking um food oh yeah definitely um my parents cook dinner every night we're so I'm all for takeaways um I love getting takeout a couple of times a week which is really bad um but my parents they love their own Chinese cooking and that's all they really eat every single day and it's amazing because they've been cooking every single day for you know as long as I've been alive and they still manage to make new dishes every single day um and yeah it's amazing um there's there's never like a shortage of Chinese food in my house so um yeah every single night when it's time for tea there'll just be a whole table full of Chinese food and um so yeah that's one of our traditions my parents make dinner every single night um but then also when it comes to celebrating Chinese festivals like Chinese New Year or like the Dragon Boat Festival or the Mid-Autumn Festival we gather around as a family and we'll do family activities like making dumplings or eating hot pot so sort of all these activities surrounding food that bring us together and sort of reinstate my culture because I'm, I'm I feel like I'm quite removed you know I'm in Manchester away from my family in China so it's sort of the closest thing I can do to sort of really integrate into Chinese culture. I really relate to that because I yeah it's it's difficult isn't it when all your family is abroad and when it comes to festivals or family gatherings you can't you just you just can't be with anyone yeah 
but is you're right because if your family has this sort of tradition and a habit of sitting around mm. the table eating it's yeah. a kind of um if you eat yeah if you eat something it's it's a physical memory so you're just in a way participating to something yeah and it and it comes in really handy as well because um a lot of my friends um are white british and a lot of people that I've dated in the past have been white British and my mum doesn't really speak English that well. So getting my friends or like my, my boyfriends to build a relationship with my mum, it was really difficult because there was a language barrier. Um, but there's never, a, for a lack of a better term, there's like there's no stomach barrier. So like all food is going to taste good. Um, yeah. So I remember one time um, one of my old boyfriends, um, he was trying to like, get to know my mum a bit more but she didn't really speak English that well so all she did was just cook for him and like every single time he was around we just have dinner together because even though he couldn't say in Chinese like oh this is amazing this is great she'd see his face be like mm, yes mm, amazing and she'd be like oh yes great and then they kind of like bond in that really strange way <laughs> because if you think about it like you know you are creating like your mom is physically creating a dish with a hand you know an effort and yeah that's something that goes into someone else's body it's like it's <laughs> such an in- no but physically it's such an intimate act yeah yeah it is and um, especially for Asian parents the biggest compliment you can give them is your food is good I'm sure that's the case with Italian culture as well like good food is a big compliment yeah definitely I have friends that still have like have memories of dishes my dad cooked for them my best mate my best mate didn't eat fish um up until he was I think 21 something like that and my dad forced him that was like and then and then that was it my friend now eats eats only fish every day (laughs) (laughs) do you cook for yourself mainly or for others for myself mainly when I was at uni I lived out in student accommodation and that was sort of just cooking for myself and my parents are quite close anyway because they're in Manchester so when I wanted like a group thing when I wanted friends around and eat Chinese food we just um go to my parents house which was like a 20 minute bus journey away but when I was living in Heidelberg and I was trying to have everyone like to sit around the table sort of like with a house dinner I would try and cook all the foods and it was really funny because I'm not that great of a cook because <laughs> I'm so used to my parents doing it because I've just lived in Manchester for years so I was like oh there's no there's no point for me needing to cook and I used to just call my mum in Germany and just cry and be like why doesn't this taste right like what am I doing wrong and she'd have to like FaceTime me and be like oh honey no <laughs> like you're doing everything wrong yeah and also, Julia, do you have, this is a thing in Asian culture, but do you have it where instead of apologising after an argument, your parents won't say anything, like they won't make it up to you, but instead they'll like cook you a 10 course meal. Is that a thing as well? Oh my God, it's such a meme in like the Asian community. That, I'd rather receive an apology through food though, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes. I like, yeah, I didn't care about words. Give no, me- great grandma mm. used to make this thing and no one ever knows what it is. It's called Blamond. Have you heard of it? Anyone? No. Yeah. It was so straight. We used to always, I remember having it at like tea parties when I was a kid. And it's like this like milky kind of jelly thing, which is like a hybrid between like a trifle and like, it was, but I have, I feel nostalgic for it, but it's also kind of gross, but I want it. It's one of those. I'd say less of a round of uh, dish that, is our childhood. I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I don't know why, uh, I've got this plain pasta, pinne, so the pinne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinne. Yes, it's like emphasis on the N. Pinne. Pinne. So, yes, um, plain pinne with ton of oil and parmesan because when we were having lunch at school in primary school for example um 
it was it was you know it was basically because all the food was this disgusting so when we had plain tin there it was just like the opportunity of a lifetime to enjoy something decent and so you'd grab there was this little table with like a lot of parmesan and oil and you just like you know just add a lot of it and yeah you know those memes where it's like a picture of pasta with ketchup and it'll be like Italians are crying um is this like combo also worthy of like Italians crying or is it a legit dish in Italy um it's kind of in between yeah I mean for Italian standards like ketchup is not even like you know to be contemplated it's just no no um but yeah I think for Italian standards it's just disgusting yeah because you're just <laughs> making a sort of I don't know three inches of I don't know of oil with pasta flooding in it and oh my god it's not. <laughs> also, yeah that just makes you think of um peep show when he puts like baked beans on pasta oh my god <laughs> <laughs> But they do, don't they say in, or like that the less ingredients with pasta, like the better, like you don't only need a few. Do they say that? Yeah, but you can have, the, the, the thing about it was, it was quite- Not beans. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was going wild with it. So it was putting like a lot of oil and a lot of Parmesan. But if you yeah. put the right amount, actually, it's kind of nice. I still have it today. Um in translation it would be egg egg <laughs> cake egg sauce I don't know but um it's like you you again it's just egg with soy sauce <laughs> it's just always soy sauce you can't go wrong with it um but again it was one of those things that if I wasn't in the mood for lumpy soup um my mum would make so you you crack eggs in a bowl and then you like boil it and then you just put loads of soy sauce in. Again, it's pretty straightforward, but it's tasty. Yeah, I think mine would probably be my mum just makes a really nice pasta. So that would be um... <laughs> no. with soy sauce. <laughs> with egg. Well, no. Um just just like tomato. <laughs> Tomato but, ketchup or no no like a proper proper tomato sauce. It's like roast dinners also remind me of being like childhood. Ooh, like, yeah, my dad makes such a great roast. You know when you go home, I guess. Are you do you live at home now, Mandy? Or... Yeah, although I'm I'm moving to London hopefully in like two months. Oh, exciting! Nice. Yeah, yeah. Is that for for work or? Yeah, so I currently work um, for a London-based company. And then I thought, well, I've been in Manchester for like 22 years. Maybe it's time to get out. <laughs> like, I love it, but it, it's time to move on. Big change, huh? Yeah, I mean, but from Manchester, because it's already such a big city, the only logical step is to go to London. Like, I can't really backtrack and be like, guys, I'm moving to like Scarborough. We both, me and Julia both lived in London for like a year yeah I'm trying to think of a food memory now about London I heard um Camden markets were quite good like I've not been but because I already have some housemates that I'm moving in with they're all like oh I can't wait to go like Camden food markets and like Brixton food markets blah 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 Borough market as well Deptford market did you go to that bakery called Bagel Bake (laughs) yeah there's always a crazy queue in fact Oh, yeah. you're like atting me because I'm saying really mainstream <laughs> recommendations. Like you're not Indian enough. Like get out no. of here. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I I take it back. There's a bagel place. Worth it. Good and cheap and cheap. Fairly cheap. Yeah. Um, if Lumpy Soup was a song, what would the song be? If Lumpy Soup was a song. Uh. Good one. I'm just going to say, because I'm such a big fan of Japanese breakfast, um, her new single, Be Sweet, because it's mm. sweet. <laughs> it's not really sweet, but um, Be Sweet, like it. Okay, let me let me rethink this. Let me think how to word this. Oh, when someone's trying to be sweet to you and they make lumpy soup for you. Mm. Nicely done. 
one of the one of my resolutions this year is to sort of like give more of a platform for British Chinese people, especially during like the COVID racism. Because like I had like a racist attack last year in Manchester, and that just sort of like shook my whole perspective of what it is to be British Chinese. So I was like, oh, this year I'm going to be making more of an effort to spread awareness. But you're you've responded to like such a event of like you know mm. that with mm. like a positive attitude, being like, oh, I'm going to get my voice out there and spread awareness. Yeah. And you're not really going to make an impact unless you proactively do yeah great that's really great and mm, I take that with me it's a really good thing you just said um great I'm so pleased we well actually that you wrote to us so thank you very much and thanks guys this is like my first experience doing this it was pretty lit so our next guest is professor Andrea Peruzzi from the University of Pisa a tiny city in Tuscany in Italy um, he's uh, gained a degree in agricultural sciences, a master's degree and a PhD in agricultural engineering. He is particularly concerned with organic and conservation management of agricultural practices. And what we're talking about today is the ethical value of consuming and producing organic food. Uh, his work has been published in more than 500 scientific papers and I think it's going to give us some great insight um, on the importance of choosing to eat organic food. Thank you, Andrea, for being with us today. Good to you, Julia. I speak very, very fastly, so I'm not so skilled in English. My English uh, is uh, quite poor but uh, only the scientific one, but uh, we, we can try. We will handle it. I let's, am do sure. it. let's do it. Let's do it, <laughs> exactly. So, okay, let's, let's crack on with the first question I wanted to ask. What made you choose uh, this subject? Oh, yes. Thank you for this question. Since I was a, a little child, I was really fascinated by plants, plants grow. And uh, for example, uh, I, look, uh, uh, I looked for hours uh, at the growth of the roof inside uh, of green bean planted in a glass jar or uh, at the veins uh, of tree leaves. So my sister, that is uh, six years older than me, said to her friends that uh, she had a, a very stupid uh, little brother. <laughs> so, and um, uh, however, I was uh, already interested also in uh, physics uh, and uh, in uh, tractors uh, and agricultural machinery. So this is uh, a sort of fate. Thus, after secondary school, I decided to study agriculture and uh, I also because uh, at the end of 70s, there was a lot of abandoned and uncultivated uh, uh, land in Italy, and it seemed to be a great occasion for young people to find a job, also in, in a sort of a revolutionary way, because uh, uh, a lot of uh, cooperatives uh, of uh, young people uh, born, and uh, there are a lot of uh, hope uh, to change something in agriculture, uh, moving from uh, the uh, conventional industrial agriculture, very dangerous for uh, the environment, uh, safety, and also really for human health, based on uh, a criterion of uh, obtaining the maximum of yield, and exploiting a lot uh, uh, the ground, the soil, without thinking to regenerate uh, soil fertility. 
so that uh, it seems it seemed to be a really a great occasion and also to form uh, cooperatives uh, and uh, to use this this system to manage agriculture in new and uh, in a new and an alternative way and according uh, um, again to um, environment uh, protection and production of high quality quality food furthermore uh, i was uh, involved in political <laughs> activities in a left party and uh, i believe that uh, this way was uh, a way to contribute to change the world making possible a more democratic management and of cultivated cultivated land in making uh, available for all the people and not only for the richest healthy and high quality food then i graduated in agriculture and uh, with a final discussion in agriculture in engineering and uh, after obtaining my master scientist, uh, I was admitted to a, a PhD course uh, in agricultural engineering. And finally, I obtained my PhD degree with uh, a thesis on innovative machines for environmental friendly uh, management of tillage, crop planting and protection with control uh, and so on. Um, you have to think that uh, there are the 90s, so mm, there, are, mm, there are no specific definition of organic farming. So uh, we work uh, based on the study of some scientists, uh, French scientists, uh, scientists from USA, uh, Italian, European, but the official uh, uh, method uh, recognized from uh, in at, at international level level uh, was born uh, in 1997 perhaps wow yeah and so uh, we have to create yeah the, think about the, the future the methods, so to, yeah. uh, also the strategies and also the machines Later, later on, I continued my research activities uh, and uh, studying uh, agronomical strategies, uh, but particularly the, the design and the realization of uh, innovative machines, smart machines also, automatic machines in the last times, uh, able to allow these uh, organic and conservation. So uh, organic, it's uh, just enough. But conservation is important because conservation uh, agriculture is not based uh, uh, necessarily uh, on the, the same principle of organic agriculture. So uh, our aim uh, since uh, some 15 years uh, was uh, to put together this uh, form to do our agriculture. In conservation uh, agriculture, we had the a close uh, conservation of uh, soil uh, uh, fertility, organic matter, and uh, that uh, decreased uh, uh, dramatically using uh, the industrial uh, approach. And uh, this decrease uh, is uh, very dangerous for the environment because uh, soil, uh, there is an increase, an important increase of the risks of erosion, land degradation, and also there is a really uh, a great problem uh, with the possibility to go towards uh, desertification. So you're already starting to introduce the next topic, 
which I was interested in and wanted to ask you about, which is what are the advantages um, in organic and conservative uh, agricultural methods for the environment? We have a, a different approach. So we have not to use uh, uh, mainly uh, deep tillage and deep tillage uh, is connected uh, uh, also to not to use uh, uh, soil inversion with uh, deep lowing uh, of the soil. And uh, this is connected uh, with uh, a real loss of soil fertility, and uh, but also with uh, very high fuel uh, consumptions uh, and then energy input costs uh, in, in terms of money, and uh, and, and is uh, also with uh, a lot of uh, greenhouses uh, gases uh, emissions. So uh, moving uh, uh, towards uh, the use of uh, this strategy, these smart strategies uh, of um, organic and conservation agriculture management, uh, avoid this problem and uh, avoid also the risks uh, in organic farming you know it's impossible to use uh, the um, synthetic chemicals so such as uh, herbicides insecticides uh, and uh, fungicides uh, that are very dangerous for uh, uh, the environment uh, causing contaminations on the environment and also for uh, human uh, health safety. So that uh, um, it's important, mm, sorry, I, I don't know if uh, I'm asking uh, in an organized way to your question, but uh, I, am, uh, I am an old guy, a, a, a worthy old guy, so. <laughs> Try to understand me, and uh, okay. And these uh, the machines uh, are uh, really important because are uh, um, needed by the farmers to uh, do uh, this kind of to perform this kind of management in agriculture. So uh, with all the benefits that now I will, uh, will, <laughs> will say to you. Okay. And, um, and, and are needed because uh, we have to um, um, obtain uh, similar yield results and similar economical results in the organic uh, farmers, farms uh, uh, with respect to that, those uh, of uh, obtain using conventional and industrial agriculture. The use of these uh, strategies uh, um, are uh, could allow to manage the agricultural practice in order to produce, uh, 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 I just said before, uh, high quality food, safe, because we have no chemical residue, residues, uh, uh, so avoiding the risk of huge health problem like cancer, because all these substances uh, are uh, um, interaction with uh, very, very huge uh, uh, health problems. But uh, the food uh, is also good, is uh, really, <laughs> really, really good. We perform very panel, many panel tests and uh, all the tests uh, have uh, positive results uh, 
in favor of uh, organic food. So uh, is uh, characterized by high organoleptic characteristic with respect to the food produced in conventional farming, but is also characterized by high nutrient and antioxidant antioxidant power. I mean that there is a, a higher content of nutrients, minerals and vitamins, and also a higher content, very higher content of uh, nutraceutical substances that are antioxidant substances. It's, it's possible to explain in a simple way because uh, the plants, the crops, uh, produces, produce uh, these uh, antioxidants uh, when are stressed. So an organic management is a management uh, in which, uh, for instance, uh, we don't use herbicides so that uh, we, we use uh, uh, thermal and mechanical means to control weeds, to manage weeds, so that there is, uh, there are always uh, uh, in an organic uh, cultivation, uh, some weeds that survive, some weeds present. And this is a, a stress for uh, the cultivated plants mm. so that when uh, we apply uh, um, organic uh, natural substances uh, for crop protection, uh, we have uh, a level of protection sufficient to reach very good yield results and also economical results, but not to control at 100% the disease of the plants. So that, again, there is stress, so production of antioxidants. And antioxidants are recognized like very, like very important uh, substances to prevent uh, cardiovascular uh, disease that are the first cause of death in the world. And this is uh, uh, statistical data of uh, 2015. Are there any substances that are bad for health that you can uh, mention? I can I can say uh, all the all the uh, quite all the um, agrochemicals, synthetical agrochemicals, but uh, specifically. Uh, some, ta some typolo typology of herbicides. There is an herbicide uh, that is uh, on the market, still on the market, but uh, this is because uh, the, um, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the firm that produce agrochemicals so the multinational of chemicals uh, have a, are um, really powerful also from a political point of view. And the name is uh, glyphosate. The name is glyphosate that is uh, widely used all over the world and, uh, and uh, is uh, responsible uh, uh, some colleagues, some of my colleagues, studying glyphosate uh, uh, from a lot of years, uh, the consequence of the use of uh, glyphosate, uh, discovered that uh, there are uh, a lot of interaction uh, with the blood disease. So, uh, Hodgkin lymphoma, non Hodgkin lymphoma, leucemia. I don't know if. Leucemia, yeah. Leucemia, yes, yes. But uh, also other substances like uh, insecticides, uh, 
uh, funds is it uh, is, is there a way to uh, investigate I, the origins of uh, like the production of the food you're buying um, the agricultural processes and stuff or not really uh, yes mm, yes there is a way but there is a way based on uh, the brand the brand recognized by authorized uh, association of control of the um, of the strategies used to cultivate and uh, and I mean with control that uh, people go in the field and uh, look at the um, look at the the crop the weeds uh, the, the the presence of disease in an organic field it's impossible to find not to find uh, uh, nothing no disease uh, no weeds uh, and so on but they also uh, perform uh, chemical analysis uh, both on uh, vegetal vegetals so both on crops and the soil so this is possible and these brands are uh, give a, a sort of a security for the consumer a, a consumer and has not the possibility uh, seeing watching at yeah, the, the, the product, product to see yeah. there is a a sort of um, fidelization and uh, this is a, another part of organic uh, farming uh, uh, different for uh, conventional and, and industrial farming that uh, consists in uh, the use of uh, alternative uh, market uh, strategies. So basing uh, uh, the organic uh, production uh, selling on direct, uh, formal direct selling, uh, e-commerce, uh, and in which uh, the uh, citizens, the, the people, uh, can do uh, is invited to uh, go to the farms and to see the way of production so there is the, this possibility uh, that is very um, really increasing yeah. in uh, in europe and uh, i think in all uh, uh, the, the in all the at, at international level, not only Europe. In Italy, there is a, a, a um, trend, uh, very positive trend of organic products. Sell the sell, uh, and also the consumers, uh, also people working, uh, having trying to post. Uh, finding the possibility uh, to have a job, to have a job and to, uh, to work uh, in, a, on a, in agriculture using the organic and conservation strategies. <laughs> but uh, having... Uh, very good economical also income yeah. so that uh, it's a, a, a virtuous a sort of virtuous circle mm. for uh, all the the society i mean so you were starting well you mentioned this virtuous circle so thinking um about all the different uh, positive effects of these practices, not just uh, on a more um, scientific um, based uh, level, but also thinking about um, the health of the people and thinking about the environment and thinking about um, uh, the economy as well. 
so yes, I wanted to ask how could this practices um, affect the economic system and help the farmers uh, involved? Yes, thank you for this question. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I already uh, mentioned something about, but uh, really the use of these uh, strategies in a smart way, because we have to adapt to different environment. Mm -hmm. There is no uh, only one way, but we have, uh, uh, we, we must find the, the more suitable way to apply these strategies to obtain the best yield results and the higher economical results. So to increase the income of the farmer, the organic farmers. And uh, there is a high reduction of production costs because uh, we use conservation. So we use uh, uh, a reduced tillage or uh, uh, even, in, even uh, uh, no tillage. So direct planting on uh, not-till soil. So we save a lot of money and save a lot of energy and protect the environment and so on and so on. And there, there is a clear need of uh, machines able to uh, allow to do it in the best way. Moreover, many organic farmers uh, are the mentioned uh, smart market strategies so direct sale, e-commerce, uh, solidary buying groups, uh, avoid, avoiding to sell their products uh, to the big organized distribution, such as in supermarkets, and thus uh, uh, usually increasing their income. Because uh, if they sell to a supermarket their product, uh, the product cost uh, is uh, 100 and they have uh, 10. So only a 10% of the real value. And they do, they did all the work to produce. Without them, there are no food. Yeah. Also uh, the American people that, uh, some American people that uh, I, I knew in my life that uh, uh, think that uh, the, the, the vegetables uh, are growing in the bench of the supermarket. They don't think that uh, there are people, real people, <laughs> that <laughs> works on this. Moreover, there is a, another, another uh, thing to take into account that is uh, that uh, they also uh, transform by themselves using uh, small uh, or uh, big plant of uh, and machine to transform the products and sell also the processed food directly the processed food so some example olive oil uh, in italy is more important but also wine and uh, vegetal sauce, jams, juice, uh, uh, cheese, uh, and so on. And uh, so these allows uh, to increase more and more the income. Uh, last, uh, they um, very frequently uh, practice uh, agritourism so uh, and uh, catering in their uh, so farm restaurants in their farm so that there is a, a high added value to the food to the produce food thus i can say i want to say this this sentence say it. <laughs> like like obama yes we can <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's right.
Grazie mille Andrea, cioè davvero, davvero super grazie. Davvero, davvero, guarda.